Hello and welcome to UCD ScholarCast. I'm Lucy Collins from the School of English Drama and Film. The following lecture in this series to accompany Dublin One City One Book 2014 will be given by Peter Denman. Peopling the place. The essential feature of a city is that people live, work and move through its streets, parks and buildings, interacting with it and at once defining and being defined by the locale they inhabit. This short talk will consider some of the ways in which poems in the If Ever You Go anthology visualise and present people in the city environment of Dublin. I will start with Paula Meehan's poem, My Father Perceived as a Vision of St. Francis. This is based around a glimpse of her father as he gets up early in the morning to feed the birds. It is a poem of beginnings, all taking place at dawn while the rest of the household is still sleeping. It was the piebald horse in next door's garden frightened me out of a dream with her dawn whinny. I was back in the box room of the house, my brother's room now, full of ties and sweaters and secrets. Bottles chinked on the doorstep, the first bus pulled up to the stop, the rest of the house slept. The poet is awoken first by that whinny of a piebald horse in the garden next door, frightening her out of a dream, an image that carries a suggestion of a nightmare but is primarily a local detail of horse-owning in the inner city and suburbs. The poem is observational and suggests various angles of vision. The word vision, used in its spiritual sense, is there in the title. The dream from which the speaker is awoken is another mode of seeing, and the main burden of the poem is about watching her father's actions. We infer that she watches from the window of the box room she has slept in, although the viewpoint is not stated explicitly. At first there is a suggestion of recognising a quiet, familial love and responsibility in the actions of her father as she hears him busy about readying the house for the morning, clearing the grate, heating the kettle. Then there is a moment of transition from domestic interior to the larger outside world, exposed to seasons and the weather and the sky. In the third stanza, one detail of the portrayal aligns the central figure with that outside world, as the poem moves from telling us that the early morning frost had whitened the rooftops, to noticing the silvered hair of the father, bringing a sudden awareness of his age. In fact, all the first part of the poem is about time, the time of day, the time of the year, the time of life. Its culmination, however, is about place, or more precisely places, specific places with names. 
As the birds flock to be fed, they come from eaves and garden sheds, from the industrial estate, outlying fields, from Dubber Cross they came, and the ditches of the North Road. Now place names are mentioned, and the poem becomes grounded in a specific part of Dublin, the area around Finglas. There was a flourishing of Finglas poets in the 1980s, particularly associated with Dermot Bolger and his Raven Arts Press. Among Bolger's own poems in this anthology are Fingal Driving Range and Finglas 1979, each parading its place name. It was as if there was a deliberate endeavour at the time to make that North Dublin area visible to poetry. But Paula Meehan's poem is more than an exploration of or a celebration of the local. While the concluding section of the poem anchors it in the neighbourhood, it also transfigures her father. While he was seen earlier as a human individual caught up in daily domestic tasks and vulnerable to ageing, now he becomes an iconic figure in the image of St Francis feeding the birds. And in the gesture of throwing up his hands, he almost leaves the earth to become associated with the rising sun and the air, and he is made young. So, while this is a Dublin poem, a fingers poem even, what strikes one is the centrality of a person as its medium, the use of a character to enter into the environment, quite literally so, as the father has been described, going out of the house into the garden and bringing creatures to him from the surrounding area. And then he transcends that environment. In the poems written about Dublin as a place, there is nearly always a character or characters introduced. The city exists as a place in which actions and awareness are played out. This is a difference from poetry of the countryside. There is a long tradition of rural or pastoral poetry in which the landscape is written about in largely descriptive terms. Landscape paintings exhibit a similar trait. Indeed, in landscapes of the Romantic Age, the focus was on nature. Human figures, if added, tended to be small and on the periphery, introduced simply to add a sense of scale, and in many cases were a detail left by the artist for an apprentice to add in, almost as an afterthought. Indeed, even in the city paintings by the American artist Edward Hopper, the streetscapes and external scenes that he painted concentrate on the line and colour of buildings and are often almost unnaturally devoid of any human presence. But if you look through the poems in the anthology selection, you will see that in almost every case, the sense of Dublin is mediated through a character, a character additional to the poet. The environment is populated. There are, of course, exceptions, such as Patrick McDonough's Feltram Hill. But Feltram Hill is, or was when McDonough wrote the poem 60 years ago, outside the city conurbation. In Meehan's poem, we are aware of the speaker herself observing and remembering. Equally, we are aware of her father as he is in age, and then imagined, 
as reverting to youth and being seen in the guise of St. Francis. There are also peripheral figures, such as the brother whose room the poet has slept in on this visit home, and the neighbours, the O'Reillys. This is a peopled landscape. The interaction of consciousness with the material environment of the city is a recurrent factor in these poems about Dublin. It occurs in various forms. For instance, Patrick Kavner was notable for the transition he made from Monaghan to Dublin, and in his Dublin poems there is a tendency to fashion for himself what Antoinette Quinn, in her book about Kavner's poetry, has called an urban self-image. Kavner situates himself in Dublin to the extent that areas around the Grand Canal are now indelibly associated with him. The image Kavner projects of himself in Dublin, however, is often that of a disembodied spirit imagining himself after death. His poems are full of ghosts, often of himself. In On Raglan Road, the poem in its final stanza moves towards the quiet street where old ghosts meet. In If Ever You Go to Dublin Town, the poem from which this anthology takes its title, Kavner directs attention to a time after his death and indicates how he expects to be remembered and spoken of in Baggot Street and Pembroke Road and thereabouts. Dublin, its pubs and libraries, becomes his haunt. If ever you go to Dublin town in a hundred years or so, inquire for me in Baggot Street and what I was like to know. On Pembroke Road, look out for my ghost, dishevelled with shoes untied, playing through railings with little children whose children have long since died. His sonnet, lines written on a seat on the Grand Canal, Dublin, looks forward to a time after his death and sets out how he wants to be commemorated. At the same time, the poem is expressive of present contentment with the actuality. The movement in the poem is similar in some aspects to that in Paula Meehan's A Vision of My Father, which we looked at earlier. Just as there the figure of the father is fulfilled by the arrival of the birds flocking from other parts, here, Kavner greets the fantastic light that floods through the arch of a bridge and the barge coming from Athai and other far-flung towns. The common effect of these moments is to recognise that there is a larger world outside the immediate streetscape and to suggest that the buildings and other structures of the city do not limit the interaction with the world of experience. But Kavner foregrounded as he is in his Dublin poems, is concerned with an idea of himself. The mention of old ghosts meeting on Raglan Road is an incidental occurrence of an image that he has used at various times in his poetry. But in the other two pieces here, the afterlife presence that he conjures up suggests a concern to order how he is to be perceived. Both of them give instructions, imperatively or imploringly. If you go to Dublin town in a hundred years or so, this is how you will seek and find me, or this is how to commemorate me. 
there is a certain pleasing irony in the fact that Kavanagh, a poet of impeccably rural beginnings, transmuted into an habitué of Dublin, with his later poems foregrounding the city thematically and in many respects taking possession of the capital. Statue by Paddy Bush takes us into the centre of the city. This is an address to the figure of Daniel O'Connell, perpetuated after his death by the memorial statue that now stands at the head of O'Connell Street. Pedestaled in stone is the poem's phrase. This poem is the opening of a longer sequence by Bush called Consular, focusing on the figure of O'Connell, and it reminds us that O'Connell was an incomer to Dublin from his home place of Kerry in Derry-Nan. Although O'Connell is now dead and represented by inanimate material, the poem evokes a vital interaction between history and the present, encompassing both the 1916 rising in Dublin and the contemporary passers-by as it addresses the figure of O'Connell. But history won't be repealed by you or me. Let the hair sit for now. Emancipated from responsibility, you can harangue the passing crowds. O'Connell's statue stands as a sort of reproach to contemporary Dublin. The Paula Meehan poem with which I started is a looking-out-of-the-window poem, of which there are several in the anthology. Claire O'Connor's more recent Irie Christchurch Place is one such, and is also set in the early morning. Whereas Meehan's poem reflects the north-side suburban environment of Finglas and the demographic movement out of central Dublin in the 1950s and 1960s, O'Connor's is written from the perspective of the high-rise apartments, and, like Bush's poem, it is a centre city poem. Here again, a locale and angle of view are specified. Meehan looked down from an upstairs bedroom. The figure of O'Connell is imagined looking down from his pedestal. But Claire O'Connell's speaker is many stories up, removed and eyeball to eyeball with the weather vane on Christchurch Cathedral. The level of consciousness is different. Meehan is comfortable in moving on to name the neighbours and to make a sympathetic identification with her father. O'Connell might harangue the passing crowds posthumously, but from O'Connor's point of view, there is only the distant external prospect of an unidentified lone reveller making his way through the early morning. Here is a vignette of the changed circumstances of Dublin city life. Whereas Kavna inhabits the streets, roads and canal banks of the city, later poems are more likely to be written from an awareness of an enclosed or limited life. Both the Meehan poem and that by O'Connor are window poems, but perhaps the archetypal poem of that sort in this anthology is Bagot Street Deserta by Thomas Kinsella. This is an early work by Kinsella, who went on to write many Dublin-based poems. Indeed, a few years ago they were gathered into a special selection of his work entitled A Dublin Documentary. 
Several of those poems are also included in this anthology, some of them with titles that are specific addresses recovering autobiographical memories. 38 Phoenix Street, Eli Place. But Bagot Street Deserta is not a retrospective poem looking back over a life. It is a nighttime meditation. The speaker looks down on the empty street below and imagines the sleeping population of Dublin released from the felt experiences of living in the waking world of emotion, thought and art. The passing crowds under O'Connell's statue, as mentioned in Paddy Bush's poem, are here imagined under a different aspect. Kinsella City is present in two different ways. It is internalised in the poet's consciousness as his mind ranges over the activity of life. And it is imagined as a neat geographical unit situated on the river that defines its position between the origins in the mountains and the sea estuary. There is no sense here in this 1960s poem of Dublin as a cosmopolitan or European site of international connectedness. It is simply the locus for sombre and ultimately inconclusive introspection. The dismissive couplet at the end, as the speaker finishes his smoke and breaks away from his thought, suggests a weary acceptance of things as they are. My quarter inch of cigarette goes flaring down to Bagot Street. This is a very different conclusion from the transfiguring leap to St. Francis that we get at the end of Paula Meehan's poem. Bagot Street, already mentioned by Kavna and again here by Kinsella, gets a good outing in these mid-20th century poems. Another prominent space in Dublin is Phoenix Park an open parkland within the bounds of the city, one that contains a number of civic and national institutions. It figures in several poems from various periods, including the epigram on the new magazine Fort in Phoenix Park by Jonathan Swift, Magazine Hill by Harry Clifton, and Wellington Testimonial by Richard Murphy. Uh, this last is another poem on a memorial like Paddy Bush's statue. Another Phoenix Park poem, At the Polo Ground by Samuel Ferguson, was written in the 1880s and focuses on a contemporary event, the 1882 assassination by the Invincibles of the recently arrived Viceroy, Lord Frederick Cavendish, and his secretary, T.H. Burke, as they strolled by the polo ground outside the Viceroy's residence, now Oris Nuchtaron, in the Phoenix Park. The poem is a sort of interior monologue by one of the Invincibles, James Carey, who organised the attack by giving the signal for the killing. The attitude of the poet here is slightly complicated. Ferguson, although sympathetic to the nationalist claims of Irish culture, was a unionist in politics and his poem is an attempt to enter into the mind of Carey. It is possible that he may have chosen Carey as a mouthpiece because Carey subsequently turned informer. Ferguson, now an elderly establishment figure complete with knighthood and other honours, could have seen him as a sort of bridge to the alien ideology of the Invincibles. 
Ferguson wants to anatomize the motives and mindset of an accessory to political killing. And the Phoenix Park is a sort of open space in the city within which this can happen. An open space, perhaps, but not altogether neutral. Quite apart from the Viceroy's residence, seat and symbol of British power, and the magazine fort associated with military force, the polo ground itself is a part of the park which bespeaks social and political divisions. As the arrival of Burke and Cavendish is awaited by Carey, his attitude to the polo players is imagined in the following words. Young fops and lordlings of the garrison kept up by England here to keep us down. All rich young fellows, not content to own their chargers, hacks and hunters for the field, but also special ponies for their game. And doubtless, as they dash along, regard us who stand outside a beggarly crew. This 19th century poem shows Dublin as the site of social and political division, explicitly raising questions about the distribution of wealth, property and power. These are questions which, if they arise at all in more recent Dublin poems, occur only implicitly. They are not foregrounded, even though the city is still at the centre of administration and government in our state. To finish, let's look at another of Paula Meehan's poems, A Child's Map of Dublin, which sees the city in yet another guise. Two characters, the speaker and an addressee, her lover, as it turns out, are introduced in the first line, together with a third by allusion. I wanted to find you Connolly's starry plough. James Connolly is referenced as a figure from history, and the subsequent action of the poem is played out around the streetscape and in the context of history, national, natural and personal. Between the high culture of the museums and the popular culture of the cinema, the poet tells of walking the north side streets that whelped her. But, she continues, not a brick remains of the tenement I reached the age of reason in. Whole streets are remade, the cranes are wrecked over Eurocrat schemes down the docks. Here, in passing, is the Dublin of recent decades, the workings of the financial centre that have pushed Connolly's ambitions for workers to the periphery, out of town to the satellite settlements in Finglas, Ballymun, Talla. It seems to be a Dublin of loss, lost ideals, the lost world of childhood, a whole lost life. But the end of the poem offers a redemptive exchange, and the map referred to in the title becomes a guide to the self, to the personal, to a loving exchange. You'll ask me no questions, I'll tell you no lies. Climb in here between the sheets in the last light of this April evening. We'll trust the charts of our bodies. They've brought us safe to each other, battle-scarred and frayed at the folds, They'll guide us to many wonders. Come, let's play in the back streets and tidal flats till we fall off the edge of the known world and drown.
The poem offers an escape from the city into a gentler, peopled interior setting, as the eurocratic scheming of the dockland is supplanted by the erotic scheming of the couple. Dublin has become at once the site of and the imagery for love. The city cedes place to its people. You've been listening to Peter Denman in this UCD scholar cast to accompany Dublin One City One Book 2014. A transcript of this talk can be downloaded at www.ucd.ie forward slash scholarcast.